Hi, I'm Richard, the founder of 10 Adventures, and this is the 10 Adventures podcast. Each week, we talk to real people about real adventures as they explore this incredible planet we all live on. Hi there, and welcome to the 10 Adventures podcast. Today we have Aaron Skinner with us, and I don't know if you'll remember, but we talked to Aaron and her friend Jan a year or so ago about their trip together um, through Saudi Arabia and Iran, and we decided to get Aaron back to talk to us about a trip she did solo through West Africa. And she traveled over two months, starting in Casablanca and moving further south to Guinea-Bissau. So welcome, Erin. We're so glad to have you on again. Thank you. Just to start off, what I would like to know is, is what made you want to even travel to West Africa? I don't sense that's the most popular tourist destination. So where did your motivation come to do that trip? Well, I was at the end of an 18-month trip abroad where I had gone to uh, the Middle East, uh, Iran, South Asia, and just other little places like the Ukraine. And um, I was leaving Saudi Arabia and I wanted to go somewhere where I could do an overland trip. And I also um, had seen some pictures or videos of the iron ore train in Mauritania. So I was like, well, maybe I'll try to think of um, a good overland trip to do in that area. So it ended up being pretty cool, very easy to organize and travel through. So it was a very great part of my trip. So tell us a bit about how you got started with the trip. So I started in Casablanca. I had already been to Morocco, so I didn't really want to spend too much time in Morocco. So I really just got to Casablanca Stayed there for a day or two and then flew down to Dakla, which is like uh, the capital of um, the Western Sahara region, which is like a disputed territory in southern Morocco. And I'd stayed there for, I think, two nights. And then I started taking buses through Mauritania. And then I went from Mauritania to Mali, then from Mali to Senegal, and from Senegal to Gambia, back to Senegal. and then to Guinea-Bissau. And then when I was getting to Guinea-Bissau, it was about March 2020. So just kind of when COVID was starting to really kick off. So then I had to kind of cut things short and head home after that. So this is like a long distance. It sounds like you're traveling in West Africa. How are you getting around? Uh, well, the distances weren't super long, but I, because this was also at the end of a long trip, so I was kind of getting a bit more stingy. Um, so I was taking a lot of um, like the cheapest transportation I could find. And yeah, the distances weren't particularly long, but everything took a very long time. Like most of my buses in between countries, like from the border of Mauritania to a border town in Mali would take about 24 hours. Same with, I took a bus from Bamako, uh, the capital of Mali, to Dakar, which is the capital of Senegal. And I I slept for two nights on that bus. So I, I left like in the evening on one day and I got there in the morning two days later. So things just took a little bit longer, but I felt like it was always a really interesting experience. And you, you'd see a lot of 
the countryside and you'd meet a lot of people. Like I think on one of my buses, yeah, it was the one from Bamako to Dakar. I met two Nigerian women who were busing from Lagos, Nigeria to Gambia, uh, which is like even taking one, like they must've been on three or four buses, just like the one we were on from Bamako to Senegal. Like, it must have just been like a five or six days on a bus, which I thought was really hardcore. <laughs> <laughs> so tell me, like, what were these buses like? Are these like luxury buses with tinting in the windows and recliner seats and movies playing? Or are we talking something different? They're they're pretty like public, public buses, just pretty basic buses, like a lot of them did advertise that they had AC, but I don't think they did. <laughs> but at least I never felt it. But uh, it was just you go to the bus station and you get to the bus. Probably similar to a school bus. Nothing luxurious, just like a very basic kind of rundown old bus. But it was still very comfortable and you still got quite a bit of room. And like, say on a couple of the nights, like if if it's not full, you can lie down. And yeah, so they didn't end up being too bad. It's funny because years and years ago, I took some buses in East Africa. So this would be probably in the 1990s. And I remember taking a bus and it was more of a public bus into um, Malawi. And these buses were like local buses and we were just crammed in on the seats. Like you had your backpack like on your lap and then there were like chickens beside you and other animals. So it sounds like that might be a, a step up from the chicken buses that I took in the 1990s. Actually, no, now that you say chickens, I do remember on that Zamako to Dakar bus, someone did have chickens on that bus for the whole the whole like two-day trip and I do remember at the end getting to to Dakar early in the morning and being like oh my god this bus reeks of chicken shit <laughs> oh man so now you you said you started by flying from Casablanca to Western Sahara and was there a specific reason you went to Western Sahara? Like, was there a specific things you wanted to see or experience there? Or was that just a starting off place that was convenient? Um, just a starting off place. Because really, when I was planning this part of my trip, I I didn't think I wanted to spend too much time in Morocco. Because I had already been there. And I wanted to just get my way down to Mauritania. But I did really like, like, the couple days I had in Casablanca were so great. And the couple days I had in Western Sahara were really great too. And it made me kind of wish I had spent a little bit more time in Morocco on this part of my trip. And what was the draw of Mauritania? Like, why were you um, so keen to get there? First of all, I really love deserts. Um, so throughout this 18-month trip, I spent a lot of time in Middle Eastern countries in Persia, or in Persia, where there's a lot of time in deserts. And Mauritania is one big desert it's mostly just desert so I was really interested to see the desert there one of their biggest tourist attractions is the iron ore train which is a, um, like a two kilometer long train which goes from Nuadibu in the northwest of Mauritania out to the middle of the desert into I, I forget the oh Chum Chum is where it ends but it's kind of like Chum is a little tiny town right in the middle of uh, the Sahara Desert in Mauritania that's like surrounded by all these other like Trans-Saharan gold trade cities like Chingedi and Uadane and like a big oasis called Turjet. So you take this train overnight and you can pretty much sleep like in the middle 
like in in one of the big iron ore train cars like I don't really know what they're called but so I was really interested in taking that train and I got there uh, to Nwadibu and then the next day I took this train and I met a couple other travelers on this train so we kind of became friends and it was just like super incredible like you're just kind of in this huge cold steel train car and it's totally exposed and you're just trying to sleep and you just see the stars and there's iron everywhere and the desert's just like all around you and it's really 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 cool actually i've seen a lot of photos of that train ride on social media over the years so i have a pretty good image in my head of what that being in that uh, train cars like from these images that i've seen online and the other picture i often see are people at the end of that trip and they're like covered in black just from being in the train car so did you have that kind of experience so I took it from Nwadibu to Chum, where the train is empty because the, I guess, the iron ore mine is in, uh, it's in a city that starts with a Z, and I can't remember what that city's called. But most people then take it kind of from Chum back to Nwadibu because you get better pictures and you get to sit on top of the iron ore. But honestly, I thought taking it without the iron ore was a lot more comfortable. I was going to take it back to Nwadibu to see what it was like with the iron ore, but it was honestly just so cold at night pretty uncomfortable and like etc that I, I didn't but when the cart is empty like you get to actually sit in the cart and you're less dirty you, you kind of have more protection from the wind and I don't know I you still get to look around and you get to kind of move around a little bit more but I, I don't think you missed out on much by not not being in it when the cart was full okay cool so after you finished the iron ore train um, where were you off to next um, I traveled a bit around, I think it's called the Adrar region in Mauritania, the kind of the, the northeast. Uh, and then I went down to Nouakchott. And then from there, I went to the southeast because I wanted to visit um, this old gold trade city in the southeast called Uwalata. Uh, and that takes a long time to get to. That was kind of the beginning of my long, long West Africa bus rides because that whole journey from Nouakchott to Uwalata took, I think, around like 36 hours. I was there for a few days, and then I crossed down into Mali. So you said that you were headed to Uwalata. What was the big draw there? Why were you wanting to take this long bus ride out to Uwalata? Um, so Uwalata is a caravan city, kind of similar to like Timbuktu and Jene and Chingedi. Uh, they're all like cities that were used in the Trans-Saharan gold trade that were big stops or big little rest spots for caravans and had like a lot of cultural integration from a bunch of places throughout the world. Uwalata isn't visited very often just because it's so hard to get to. Um, but it ha- they, the whole city is like kind of right in the middle of the desert. And they're known for having these intricately designed doors. So I just seen some pictures and I was like, well, I have the time. I'm really interested in things like this where they're kind of difficult to get to and kind of a bit more authentic. So I was like, why not just try to make the journey out there? And I did. And I spent two nights in Uwalata, which is more than enough time, but it was super cool. And I'm really happy I made the trip. It was definitely worth the 36 hours out there. 36 hours on a bus. Yeah. And then probably around 36 to get into Mali, but it was worth it. And um, it was just so beautiful because like you because you take um, like a public bus kind of all the way to Nima, which is the last city in the east of Mauritania. 
and then you I, I had to wait around all day for like a shared four by four that just drives like straight into the desert until they get to Uwalata. Um, and then on the way, they're like dropping off like families just here and there and families just walk straight into the desert. So they're like, I, I'm, I just assume they're like nomadic families walking to their communities, but it's just really cool because they'll just get off at like some random shrub and then just head on into the desert, which was really, really beautiful. Wow, that sounds uh, pretty intense. Now, you said after that stop, you were headed to Mali. My understanding is that Mali isn't a real tourist destination these days. I mean, some people think it's pretty dangerous. Well, I think the situation in Mali changes a lot. So I don't know what what it's like right now. But when I went, I think the general understanding was like Bamako is safe. Uh, which is the capital kind of around Bamako, which is central Mali, is relatively safe. And then Segu, one of the bigger touristy cities, like the cultural capital. And it's where in the past, like if you were, I guess tourists would usually go to Mali and then take boats down the Niger River until they got to Timbuktu. So that's usually where those boat tours would start. But Segu is supposed to be relatively safe. And then Jene, which is as far as I made it, is kind of like on the border of whether it's safe or dangerous. So people generally didn't recommend going to Jene, but I went and I met a few people who had gone and I didn't have any trouble there. So I think it's just about staying like up to date with what's I just like traveling anywhere in West Africa because um, the situation changes quite often. Like you got to stay up to date and you got to like talk to the locals and I talked to like a, like a lot of expats who lived in Mali and you just kind of get like a general idea of what's safe and what's not safe. It, with this situation that was there and this um, issue of, of security, how were you getting about when you were in Mali? Uh, I took public buses. Okay. And you felt okay at that time? Yeah, I felt perfectly fine on the public buses, but I also wasn't like... I did know like people or I did talk to some other travelers when I was there who had been to kind of more sketchier areas or areas that were considered to be super safe by like a lot of embassies, like uh, Bandagara, which is a big tribal area that used to be super, super heavily touristed is now or was considered not to be safe when I was there. And Sakaso, which is right on the border of Burkina Faso. And at the time, Burkina Faso was going through like a lot of unrest. So that wasn't considered to be safe. Um, and people would like, I met people like at, you know, some of those traveler hostels in Bamako that were like taking their own cars down there with their European license plates and said that they felt perfectly fine. I don't think I would have felt comfortable doing that. And I felt like the buses kind of at least gave you a little bit of anonymity. I've seen pictures as well of Dejene and it's known for its big mosque. Like it's a real, again, it's an image you see online reasonably frequently how was how did it feel to be there and touring around oh it was like fantastic it was um because like you're the only tourist there I think usually when you go it was just beautiful like the whole city is just like it just looks like it's it's not made for you like it's made to be lived in by the people that are there so it's just not polished it's not fancy or anything like there's nowhere to really go out to eat like I I think for the whole my whole two days in Jenny I really didn't eat at all and if I did it was just like a bit of street food here and there 
the mosque itself is fantastic. It was like so beautiful. And the whole city is like built in adobe structures the same way that the mosque is. Oh, wow. Sounds very cool. How long were you in Mali, would you say total? Um, I think it was about two weeks. Oh, so a fair amount of time that you spent there. And other than the mosque in the Jene, were there other highlights there that you really enjoyed? When I was in Segu, I was there at the time of like a big cultural music festival, which was really cool. I didn't know that was going on, but Mali is really well known for its music. So that was really cool to hear and see. And it was super festive and it was really, really fun. It sounds like a real experience. I guess if there aren't many tourists there too, it would be more exciting. Yeah, yeah. I think just like the River Niger there, I thought every, like being close to that all the time was really interesting because the river is like so big and it changes so much and it's really beautiful just to go for like a little ride on. And that was probably another highlight of Mali, which is all the nice views. Lovely. So after Mali, where were you headed next? Uh, I went to Senegal. And tell us about Senegal. Senegal, so Dakar, which is the capital, is kind of known as being one of the highlights of West Africa. It's I've heard a lot from expats who live in West Africa that it's kind of the one place that everyone wants to be living. Senegal is a lot more well-touristed than Mali and Mauritania, so it's a little bit more comfortable and easier to get around. And I spent most of my time in Senegal in Casamance, which is in the very, very south which is like a beautiful beachy destination and like pretty cheap, pretty beautiful, like pretty beachy and beautiful and just low key and easy to do stuff in. So was that just kind of a time to rest and recover? Yeah. And just kind of enjoy a bit of the scenery. Nice. So when you were traveling all through this part of West Africa, um, were you meeting a lot of local people? Were you getting to talk to locals? Yeah, here and there. I um definitely not as much as like in when I I was in Pakistan for quite a few months and it definitely wasn't the same. I found Pakistan and Iran to be a lot more like people bringing you in. But I, I did meet a lot of really cool people in West Africa. Mostly men. I didn't I didn't meet a whole lot of women, but I think also maybe I'm just a little bit more introverted. I think it would be hard to meet a bunch of people if you were really trying to. And what about food? Uh, what was the food like in all these different places? The food in Senegal was definitely the best. I didn't have a super great experience with the uh, food in Mauritania um, or Guinea-Bissau or Gambia. <laughs> but uh, I thought the food in Senegal was really delicious. The food in Mali, I think I was eating a lot of street food in Mali. So it was really kind of exciting. And a lot of it was really different. and you just kind of point at things and you either it's really good or it's really bad. So um, overall, I thought the food was probably not my favorite part of the air area, but definitely like I thought Senegal really like took it by the reins and had the best food for sure. So what would be like a typical meal that you would have in Senegal? I The most, I think, popular touristy meal in Senegal is yassa, which is a kind of onion stew with a meat. And it was super delicious. I actually tried to make it when I got home, but 
my parents didn't really <laughs> think it was as good as I thought it was. And what about Molly? Did it have a, like, was it a different style there? You said you were having mostly street food. I had a lot of fried stuff in Molly. I didn't really go out and try to find the best food there. I was mostly just eating to get around. I remember there was like a lot of fried food or I think I remember having like just rice and sauce a lot, which was always actually pretty good. But like a lot of just kind of like samosa empanada type dishes. You were saying you were in Senegal, you were having some rest time in the south on the beaches, just kind of a relaxing time. And um, did you take off and do different things after that? Or was that the end of your trip? Well, actually, another cool thing I did in Senegal was I went to Touba, which is uh, one of the holiest Muslim cities in the world. It has like a huge Saudi funded mosque and it's like super intricate and beautiful and the whole city is a holy city so you have to cover your knees and cover your head as like a woman and everything but that was a really cool day trip I I really 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 enjoyed that but after Senegal I went to Gambia for a little bit so I I was in Dakar I went to Gambia from Gambia to Casamance because Gambia is kind of right in the middle of Senegal then from Casamance I went to Guinea-Bissau uh, and I was only in Guinea-Bissau for a little bit just because I had to start organizing my trip home with COVID happening. But I went to um, uh, a set of islands off the coast of Bissau, which is the capital of Guinea-Bissau. Um, and I took a really long pirogue, which is kind of like a local fishing boat, to these islands um, and spent a few days in like a kind of brand new budget hotel that has been set up by a French woman and her partner. And like there was no Wi-Fi. I don't think there was hot water, but it was a really cute little place to be. And it really made the island time feel a lot nicer. Sounds fun. Was language an issue at all when you were traveling in West Africa? Most of the countries I was in, except for Gambia and Guinea-Bissau, have like French as a lingua franca. So I speak a bit of French as I'm Canadian. So for me, language wasn't really an issue. I could always communicate what I wanted to say. And it was really helpful getting to practice my French every day. Um, in Guinea-Bissau, they have like a Portuguese colonial history. So a lot of people speak Portuguese, but I did never find it hard to communicate there. I felt like everyone could also speak English or French. And then in Gambia, um, they speak English there. So that was easy. So because you could speak French in most of the places you were, um, you didn't have any problems with communication. Yeah. If you look back on your trip, um, are there some moments that really stick out as like, you know, epic memories that you have of your two months in West Africa? Um, definitely the Jenne in Mali was like just such a, such like a beautiful experience. And it was being there combined with all the efforts it took to get there you know it was kind of frustrating to get there it was kind of frustrating to be there and I was by myself so I was getting like a little bit just kind of grumpy and lonely but it was just like such like a beautiful experience just to see the mud mosque all to my you know and have it sunrise sunset midday like just to be there at all times Uwalata was definitely like just like such an unforgettable experience just because for for the same reasons like it was hard work to get there and when I was there, you know, it was kind of wasn't super comfortable or I felt kind of a bit tired and I was kind of staying in some in some family's house and it was kind of weird. And um, but like 
to to see the city like just throughout the day like especially like to just see the desert surrounding it in the sunset which is like super incredible sounds great you were doing this trip and you were just as the pandemic was starting so at the beginning of march 2019 that's when you were in west africa 2020 okay and so how was that yeah Honestly, like, I don't know. I didn't really hear much about COVID until I got back to Canada. Like, it didn't seem like that big of a deal when I was there, but also things were just kind of picking up throughout the world. But um, it didn't really impact my trip at all. Oh, well, that's good to hear. It's funny when you're away traveling in a different place, sometimes you don't hear the same news as what people elsewhere are hearing. I often find that like when you're somewhere, you know, sometimes your family will be really worried about you um, because they're hearing the news like where they live, but your experience on the ground can just be so different. So it's interesting that you, even though it was all starting to kind of go crazy, North America and Europe, you weren't hearing too much of it there. Yeah, no, for sure. Yeah, I think that happens a lot. Well, it's been really great hearing about the trip in West Africa. I know I've seen a few of your photos and you have some really amazing photos from that trip. So hopefully we can share a few of them on our social media. For sure. Yeah, thanks so much for talking to us, Erin. Yeah, thank you, Karen. (laughs) Bye-bye. Bye. We hope you enjoyed this episode of the 10 Adventures podcast. If you liked it, why not give us a review? Better yet, subscribe and get inspired again and again. Also, if you want to find your own adventures, why not check out 10adventures.com where you can use our free resources to plan your own trip or book a tour in over 60 countries and make your own epic memories on your next adventure.